John 12, 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me belie believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. All right, thank you, Craig. I'm going to go ahead and invite up Mark. We have a guest preacher today. Mark Medina is here from Imago Day Church, our sending church. So we are so honored to have Mark today. Uh, his wife, Cassandra, is here and their daughter, Lily. Uh, and it's just a, truly a pleasure to have them. Mark, the last time Mark preached, we were still meeting in a backyard. So it's been some time and we're super pumped to have you here now with, uh, you know, actual stage and seats and stuff. So um, let's give Mark a warm welcome and uh, take it away. All right, as we uh, begin this morning, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, um, verse 44, which is where we're going to be at. Um, as you do that, I want you to consider a question this morning, and it's going to sound like a little heretical, so <laughs> relax, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, and it's, if you've been a believer a while, maybe you've never even asked this question, and if you're not a believer, maybe it's something that you're, you're even asking right at this moment. And the question is this, why is it such a big deal if I accept or reject Jesus? Growing up, I never really had an answer to that question. I grew up in kind of uh, what I call like a kind of Christian home. And by kind of, I mean, um, my family was Christian and they still are today. They have a real faith in Jesus. But rarely was that faith integrated with our lives. And so um, for us, Christianity was a set of things we did. So we went to church every single Sunday. Um, we were generally supposed to be kind to other people. We're supposed to take care of our family. And then there were also some certain things that we had to believe. And so you had to believe in God. That was, that was standard. You had to believe in heaven and hell. And then most importantly, you had to believe in Jesus. And whether or not you believed in Jesus determined whether or not you went to heaven or hell. And so, when I was five, year, five years old, I realized, I don't know about heaven, but it sounds a lot better than hell. So I'll believe in Jesus. I said the prayer. And I believed what I had to. But why? Like, why was this the standard that God had made for the eternal destiny of every single human being. There are other religions, other, other ways of, of following, uh, following God, as, as they say, other teachers, other prophets. Um, and sometimes the people that follow these religions often seem a lot nicer than the people who claim to know and believe in Jesus. So why was this the standard that God had set? this is what will determine whether you go to heaven or hell. 
Why does it matter if you accept or reject Jesus? That's what we're going to see today. So uh, Nick tells me you guys have been going through the Gospel of John since September, which is awesome. Um, We've been going through that same Gospel as a church, um, but you guys are in chapter 12 and we're in chapter 4, so we are way slower. I don't know how how the math works out on that, but um, I feel like we started roughly at the same time. So in the gospel, as you guys know, John is describing the life of Jesus. And to kind of set the scene a little bit, or if you're you're new and you haven't been here, um, this is kind of a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. So he's had this ministry for for several years now. But things have started to take kind of a turn in the last chapter. Just a few days earlier, Jesus entered the capital city of Jerusalem during this feast of Passover. And as he's entering, and the, sh- the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, which literally means, save us. It looks like the people are starting to get excited. They're starting to receive him as their king. And it's not just the Jews either. Even Gentiles, a couple verses ago, were starting to come to Jesus. It looks like things are going well. But at the same time, the religious leaders are plotting to kill Jesus. They think he's dangerous. And then Jesus starts dropping these like little hints and things to his disciples that sound kind of weird. He starts saying things like he would have to be lifted up. And that the light, referring to himself, is going away. And then in the passage you read last week, Jesus talks about how, um, actually John says that in spite of all that Jesus had done, the people still did not believe in him. And even those who did, didn't accept him because out of fear for what would happen to them. So in verse 36, it says, Jesus hid himself from them. So in John, that's kind of the end of Jesus' public ministry to the crowds, to the people. So everything here from here on out will be to his disciples. It'll be more private, more intimate, more small setting. So before that, though, John puts this passage in today. And in these last few verses, you see Jesus' final plea to the crowds to accept him. It's kind of like in the movie where like, the hero, right before he goes to face off with the villain, gives like, that final speech. You've seen Avengers like, as they're walking towards like, the time-traveling time place, or Captain America is saying the speech before they're going in. This is kind of that sort of scene. There's an urgency. There's a weight to what Jesus is saying. So he's calling them, all the crowds, and us today, I would say, one last time to receive him. So why is it so critical to accept or reject Jesus? Well, the first point, the first thing is that because Jesus is how God makes himself known. In other words, knowing Jesus and only Jesus is how you and I can come to know the one true God. So look again at verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Now right off the bat, for Jesus, this is really, really straightforward. He basically says, 
as we know from like previous chapters in the gospel, the one who sent Jesus is God the Father. This is the God of the Old Testament, the God who created everything, the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and the same God who these people surrounding Jesus were waiting for to rescue them from slavery again. Jesus identifies himself with that God. And he does so, so closely that to believe in Jesus is to believe in God and to see Jesus is to see God himself. Or to put it another way, Jesus is God made known. Now, again, if you've been here for a while, this isn't anything new in John. In very first verse in John, it says, the word was with God and the word was God. And more recently in chapter 10, he just said, I and the Father are one. But he isn't just saying that Jesus is God. That's not all he's saying here. If you grew up in the church at all and, and, and you know a little bit of theology, you know that when somebody asks you, is Jesus God, you are supposed to say yes. That's the right answer on the theology quiz. But that's not the focus of what he's getting at. Jesus is saying that to ever know God, the one true God, who created the world and everything in it, you must know Jesus. There is no religion that is God-centered, that is about God, that is not also Christ-centered. That's not also about Jesus. If you say you believe in God, then you must believe in Jesus because Jesus is God making himself known to the world. Back in John, uh, the first, first chapter, verse 18, John sums it up really nicely. He says, no one has ever seen God, the one true God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Um... One of my favorite authors is, is C.S. Lewis because he's such like a good, he does a theology so well in how he illustrates it. And he gives this example of, um, of Hamlet, you know, the, the play Hamlet, maybe you had to read it in high school. I didn't read it in high school. I think I read the Spark Notes in college, but the play is not important. Um, sorry if you're an English professor or teacher or anything like that here. Um, but Hamlet is a play written by Shakespeare, and there's a character in it whose name is Hamlet. And for Hamlet to know Shakespeare, there isn't really a way for that to happen. Unless, so, I mean, he might grasp things about Shakespeare. He might, okay, I know the story's written this way. I know he put these hints in about it. Maybe he can grasp things about Shakespeare just from the way the story is taking place. But for him to actually know and experience who Shakespeare is, Shakespeare would have to write himself into the play. He would have to make himself a character in the story. Only then could Hamlet know and experience who this author is. And Lewis says, in Christ... God has written himself into the story. He's broken in and said, this is who I am. 
Come know me. Come experience me. Come have life with me. And so, going back to our initial question, if we reject him, if we reject Jesus, we're actually rejecting God himself. For a lot of us, that's kind of hard to say and even a bit harder to believe. See, most people in our area would say they, they would believe in, in some sort of God. But believing in God and following Jesus, those are kind of different things for a lot of people. Some people might say that they're spiritual, but not, not religious. Jesus is a little bit too centered in a church. It's too um, institutional. Like, I can't believe in that, but I, I still believe in God. And maybe that's you today. You're not like actively against Christianity. After all, like you're here in a church. But you're not sure about what you'll believe about Jesus. Maybe you'll see how it goes after a while. But here Jesus is saying that's not an option for you. God isn't somewhere out there waiting to maybe be found or maybe not. He isn't a theory or a doctrine or a religious dogma. He came down to make himself known. You are either believing in him or you're choosing to close yourself off from ever knowing him. At the same time, though, if you do believe that Jesus is God making himself known, and he is, it should change literally everything about how you live your life and how you see your life. Because in Jesus, we don't have an abstract theological concept. No, we see God's beating heart. In Jesus, we see God walking with and talking with his friends. In Jesus, we see God weeping when those same friends pass away. In Jesus, we see God angry at religious hypocrisy and the burdens that it puts on marginalized people who just want to know him. But at the same time, we see God weeping over these same fallen people. We see God forgiving the very people who had betrayed him. You don't just believe things about Jesus. You know who God is through Jesus. Which means for you and I personally, you don't need to approach God on your knees anxiously in fear over who he is and what he thinks of you. Michael Reeves says, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. He's a God who came down to be known by you. When you open up the gospels, when you open up the scriptures, you can see him, you can know him. You don't have to live in fear. He wants to be known by you. That's not all, though. Knowing what God is like is one thing. But you also get to see what he wants for your life. Which brings us to our second point. Whether we receive or reject Jesus matters 
because Jesus is how God is saving a fallen world. See, to accept or reject Jesus is to accept or reject God's salvation for us. Look at verse 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, stop there for a second. That's not obviously the first time Jesus has called himself the light in John's gospel. That image carries a lot of weight throughout the entire book. And it sounds really nice. Light of the world, like uh, this little light of mine is like a song that little kids sing all the time and it sounds really sweet. But there's actually something terrifying about Jesus being the light of the world. When you think about him being the one true God, the holy God, light doesn't just bring warmth, it also exposes the darkness. It exposes those living in darkness and the sin that's found in our world. But here, the purpose is different. The light in this passage and what Jesus is saying is he, who he is, is attractive. It's drawing those who believe in him, those who are living in darkness, into the light. The light's redemptive. He keeps going. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Again, Pretty straightforward. Jesus says he did not come to judge the world. He came to save the world. But the question is, who is that world? And I think, again, growing up in the church, kind of, these are the kind of words that you just gloss over. The world is like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And we think, oh, that's kind of just everybody. But actually in John and elsewhere throughout the scriptures, the world represents Everything that is not God, everything that is against God, that is in rebellion to him. It's selfishness, it's violence, it's evil, it's pride, it's sin. It's everything that Jesus is not. It's everything that God's only son had every right to judge and to condemn. But although the light could have exposed the darkness, could have judged us, judged the world. Jesus says that's not why he came. He came to bring those of us who are in darkness into the light. He came to seek the world and to save it. See, Jesus Christ is God's answer to humanity's fall. It's the way that a holy God is redeeming the people that he has created to bring them back to himself. God's answer to the fall is not judgment, it's salvation. He came to save the world. So that means what we believe and decide about Jesus is what we believe and decide about God's salvation too. Look, I love, I love theology. I love learning theology. It's great. I love talking about like the different theories of the atonement and justification and all that, what that means. But I think there's a temptation to see in Jesus merely just the concept of like a legal payment for sins. 
It's kind of like if Jesus, all that he ever did was post our bail in the jail that is hell to get us out. If all that's all that Jesus ever did, we've missed the whole gospel. Instead, it's more like we are drowning in a pool of our own sin. And in Jesus, God extends his hand to save us and bring us out. And more than that, he was actually willing to take our place, take our spot in that pool so that we could be saved and we could find life. The crazy thing is that on the cross, Jesus came to save the world by allowing himself to be killed by that same world. So that the very people that hated him could be in relationship with him forever. To accept or reject Jesus is to take God's hand of rescue or not. So I'm guessing most of you are believers. But do you ever treat your salvation less like a rescue and more like an overdue library fine that's been paid? Because one, one of those can change your life. And one can leave you living in darkness. See, it's possible to believe that God has forgiven you, but just barely. Maybe he let you in on a technicality. And when that's true of your salvation, when you are merely just let in, barely accepted, payment written off, when that's all your salvation is, you can never really be vulnerable with him. You can never be vulnerable with his church, with other people that love him. Because you have to hide because you're so afraid that you're going to mess things, this up. You're so afraid that you're going to somehow be found out that you're not good enough. That you are a last second pick. You hide living in the darkness because you're afraid to come to the light. If that's you at all, if that's you even a little bit, know that Jesus Christ did not come to just settle your debts. He came to bring you into the light. He came to draw you near whatever guilt you feel whatever shame you experience because of the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you. Know that he didn't just pay the debt off. He was willing to take all of that on himself on the cross. Not only so that you could just be forgiven, but that you could actually come near to him and find new life. That you could be with him. So please, step into the light knowing that the only one who could really judge you, the only one who had every right to expose the darkness and judge the world has actually come to save you. Jesus is not just a question on a theology test that we need to get right. He's God bringing himself down to us to save us. And because of that, from that point, we understand that the outcome of our lives 
is determined by what, how we respond to his word. So that's our final point, point, is that Jesus is God's final word to us. So look at verse 48. So just a verse ago, Jesus said that he did not come to bring judgment. But does that mean that there is no judgment? Not quite. Look at verse 48. It says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. So there is a judge. But who is that judge? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So although Jesus himself did not come in the flesh to judge the world, his words, the words that he has spoken, will be the standard by which a person is judged on the last day. In other words, Jesus is saying, and this is pretty crazy, that your eternal standing, your eternal judgment will rest, will rest upon whether or not you have believed what I have told you. Now, that's crazy. That's bold. That's a lot. But look why he can say it. Verse 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. In other words, Jesus is saying, my words mean everything because my words are not just my words. They're actually God's words. Now, for the Jews who are listening to this, they would not have been surprised that whether or not you were judged or not would depend on, on someone's words from the Lord. This is actually all throughout the Old Testament. And way back in Genesis chapter 2, God tells Adam, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And as we know, Adam and Eve did not listen to that word, and so death and sin came into the world. A judgment happened because they did not listen to God's word. But again, God speaks in the book of Deuteronomy. Through Moses, God tells the people that you can listen to these commandments and find life with me. Or you cannot and you will find judgment. He promises the very same thing that he had promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. Listen to my words and either judgment or life will happen. But within that same book of Deuteronomy, there was also another word that was promised, that was coming. And it was a final word. In Deuteronomy 18, you don't have to turn there, but just kind of listen to this. It says, Moses tells the people, the Lord your, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And in verse 18, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. Sound familiar? And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So Jesus is telling the people that he is that promised prophet in Deuteronomy. He is God's final and definitive word that God will one day judge every single human being based upon. So that's why every religion, no matter how kind, no matter how good the teachings are, cannot compare to Christianity, cannot compare to Jesus, because Jesus' words are the very words of God to us. 
And so to accept or reject the word of Jesus is to accept or reject the word of God himself. Um, there's always a handful of movies that I'm trying to get my wife uh, to watch and that she, she doesn't <laughs> want to watch with me. Um, one of them is a war movie called 1917. Um, so if you've seen it, it's, it's kind of about a, uh, a soldier, actually a pair of soldiers in World War I who are desperately trying to get this message from like the British military high command to the front lines of the British military in World War I. And the message is really simple. It just is stop. There was, a, there was a, an attack that they were going to stage on the, on the Germans. And um, what the military high command had figured out was that, um, that it was actually an ambush. The German soldiers wanted the British to attack them. And if they did, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would die. So it's simply stop, don't attack. And at the end of the movie, there's this soldier. His name is Lance Corporal Schofield. And he's standing before the British general with this order from, from the high command. And the British general at the front does not want to listen to him. And in that moment, the general has a choice. Will he listen to this word from, from his leaders? Or will he ignore it and attack anyway? If he ignores it, he condemns the men who are going to run up on the trenches to death. Thousands of people will die. But if he listens, thousands and thousands of these soldiers will be saved. Jesus is saying that he is here to deliver a message from on high. But the difference is that your life, my life, is what hangs in the balance. Jesus is the fork in the road for every single human being who will ever live. On the one hand, to reject him is to accept and invite judgment. Earlier on, John wrote something similar. This is chapter 3, verse 18. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. When you and I fail to believe in Jesus, we condemn ourselves because we have not chosen to believe God's very word to us. It's like God is speaking to us and we are plugging our ears saying, no, I'm not going to listen. We're saying we would rather live apart from God forever. That's the bad news. The good news is that the same commandment that brings judgment to those who ignore it also brings life to those who believe it. Look at verse 50. It says, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now, don't get tripped up on that word commandment. Um, this is not another thing that you have to do to make yourself good enough to be saved. 
That's not what he's saying. Actually, in, in 1 John 3.23, John tells us what the commandment is. He says, and this is his commandment. This is the commandment from God the Father. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The word from heaven, the word from on high, the commandment of the Father is simply to believe on the Son and be saved. That's it. And the promise is that if you obey this commandment, if you receive Jesus' words, if you receive him as the Son of God put on the cross for your sins, that you will receive eternal life. And not just heaven when you die. When you hear that word eternal life, that's kind of like what you think. Oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to live forever. I guess that's cool. Um, no, he's saying the eternal bliss and joy of being with the God who made you. The one your soul was made for. The one every relationship fails in comparison to. Eternal bliss is, is accessible to you right now if you believe in Jesus. That is eternal life. His commandment is your entrance point into an experience that you cannot even imagine at this point. For those who believe, Jesus is God's final word of life. So as we close today, and you consider the last few months, if you've been here listening to the Gospel of John, seeing all that Jesus is, all that he came to do, all that he came to say, I just want you to understand the weight of what it means to follow Jesus. There is nothing, I don't even say this with any qualifying point, there is nothing more important to you and to your life than what you believe about Jesus. It's not a rule that God threw in to condemn you to hell. God is reaching through Jesus. God is reaching into our world, showing us who he is, saying, this is who I am. I came to save you. I came to call you to eternal life. We're not just rejecting a doctrine. We're rejecting God himself. For you and I, who are made in God's image, we are made to worship this God. What we decide about Jesus determines our life. So what about you? Will you accept or reject Jesus? Jesus here is speaking to the crowds, but he's also speaking to you and to me. The Son of God is reaching into your world and calling you to receive him. Look, maybe you've been here for a little while and, and you've said, you've come with a friend, you've come with your family, and you said, maybe one day I'll follow Jesus. There's maybe something to that. Why not today? <laughs> Why not enter in to the life, the eternal life that the Son of God offers you?
He's not asking you to believe in it. He's not asking you to pass a theology test. He's asking you to receive himself. The words of the Father, they're here for you. There is nothing more important to your life than whether or not you accept or reject Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you you came to us. That you had no reason to reach down from heaven and find fallen people who didn't want you. But instead, you came down in the flesh. You became like us. You wrote yourself into the story, God, for us to be saved. So Lord, I pray that this morning that we would believe and accept you. That whatever fear, whatever hesitancy, whatever sin might be holding us back, God, that you would help us see the truth. You'd help us see that they are nothing in comparison to you and the joy and life that you find, that you give us, that you offer us freely. So Lord, I pray that we would receive you, that we would step into the light and find life in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.